Welcome to the EMSO Talks podcast. Hello and welcome to EMSO Talks. I'm Jens Nystedt, co-CIO at EMSO. Thank you for joining me today uh, for our second part in our new podcast series called Fika with Jens. As I was doing last time around, I will be sharing some insights and views on both market developments and some of the events that we are focused on here at EMSO that are on our radar screen. And for sure, there have been plenty of events to keep us busy in March, certainly not the ones that I expected. So the goal here is to give you guys an insight into the processes here at EMSO and uh, how we keep on assessing and reassessing the volatile, volatile times we are living in. So. With that, let me dive in and uh, talk about uh, the U.S. banking turbulence that was really the surprise of of March so far, especially in the context of uh, the very strong U.S. growth data that we received, uh, non-farm payroll, and even the CPI was running a bit hotter than we ideally would have wanted to see or what the Fed wanted to see. Chairman Powell even hinted in his uh, testimony in Congress that they may actually be needed to accelerate the pace of uh, rate hikes from 25 basis points to 50 basis points. It was an unfriendly environment, including for EM central banks, that if anything, were looking to halt their hiking cycles or even start cutting. But with uh, the world's largest central bank signaling that tighter policies were more likely, we did see some turbulence around those events in terms of higher interest rates. Little did we know that 36 hours afterwards, uh, the comparisons would instead go back to the global financial crisis of 708 following uh, U.S. uh, banking turbulence that I mean, the reasonable estimates out there now suggest that uh, it could shave 04 to 0.5% of U.S. growth uh, this year, and it could be the equivalent of um, 25 to 50 basis points of Fed hikes. So a lot of the extra tightening that the Fed probably thought they needed in March was gone by the end of that weekend. And... Uh, That makes sense, but what the market then did is they took it further, either positioning-driven or simply that the market has a much more bearish U.S. economic forecast, but actually pricing in cuts. And those cuts actually at one point reached 100 basis points. At the time of us recording this, it's close to 50 basis points. And uh, we would expect to see, uh, at least here at EMSO, one more Fed hike in May, And then uh, it's going to be really open-ended at that point of what's the state of the U.S. banking system and what is U.S. economic data doing. I think this is one of those cases where we won't see the impact of the banking turbulence in actual data for quite some time to come, at least the next eight weeks. Uh, We have the uh, senior loan officer survey, May 8, that could give us some indications uh, we'll also see it probably in some confidence data, so softer data, surveys, et cetera, et cetera. But the hard economic data, as far as we can tell, we're still on track of pretty healthy job growth, uh, at least in the short term, and still continued inflationary pressures. So some of these uh, movements that we've seen, historic in nature, if you look at the implied volatility of U.S. Treasuries, they actually went higher than they were during covid And the only other time, at least in my trading career, they've been somewhat higher was during the global financial crisis. So 
In that environment, I would say that uh, the emerging market assets have been remarkably resilient. And uh, clearly, this is not, uh, at least at this point, a situation that has a direct analog to emerging markets. Um, what has been going on in the European banking system is also very different than what we are seeing in the US. So uh, at this stage, it doesn't seem to have a read across. And if anything, it actually opens up a scenario that we thought had a very low probability in early March, but certainly now looks a lot higher, that this could be enough of a slowdown in the US economy, such that the Fed may only have to hike one more time, but it's not so bad of a slowdown that it weighs on global economic growth, that it offsets the positive impact from the China reopening, such that emerging markets can actually benefit from a fairly supportive external environment with less tight financial conditions for the Fed. And that means that the kind of opportunities that we are looking for in emerging markets, such as EM rates, it gives the green light for a number of central banks in emerging markets who started hiking well before the Fed to now stop their hiking cycles and, uh, if anything, bring forward some of their cutting cycles as their inflationary trajectories look actually quite healthy. But then again, a lot of their um, CPI baskets have much more goods in them than services. Services have been a little bit stickier, including in some emerging markets, by the way. Outside of EM, EM rates, I think that EM currencies have done uh, reasonably well. I think that reflects that uh, overall there was not a lot of positioning and exposure to EM assets, including EM currencies. Those EM currencies that were some of the popular uh, trades at the time did see volatility. The Mexican peso, for example, was one of the leaders in terms of seeing a weak reaction because people were cutting their positions. It was not necessarily a reflection about the opportunity set available in Mexico, but we even had a Hungarian foreign. So two currencies, two different continents, what did they all have in common? Positioning, people owned them and this created a shakeout. But a lot of that weakness has since been reversed as uh, I would say the US situation, at least for now, looks a bit more stable, but it's certainly worth monitoring. This kind of narrow landing zone for emerging markets where you have somewhat weaker growth, but not so bad that it actually raises global growth concerns, sounds very Goldilocksian. Uh, it is a new scenario for us. I mean, it would be fantastic if that happened. That would make us more constructive EM assets, but it's still too early to make that call. Uh, I think what is something that we feel comfortable with is the peak dollar is behind us. Uh, probably the ECB is going to hike more than the Fed. That seems to be increasingly clear. It seems that at least the growth shock, as far as it can be estimated at this stage to Europe, is less, significantly less than it is in the US. And of course, the ECB also started hiking late. So that could be supportive for for the euro and some of the currencies that are more closely linked to the euro. When it comes to peak US Treasury, 10-year rates, etc., that seems to also be behind us, given that we're moving on from a rate hiking cycle to discussion, where the market is, of course, quite uh, aggressive and expecting almost imminent cuts this summer. 
But uh, cuts are going to come. We think it's next year, given that we have a more constructive view, at least for now, of what's going on in, in the U.S. and the global growth outlook and that inflation remains somewhat sticky. But uh, finally, if you look at EM credits, so sovereign spreads were quite expensive going into this, uh, quite resilient. Uh, hasn't really opened up a lot of cheapness here, except some select names, uh, especially in the high-yield space. But there were opportunities and in investment-grade names as well. Um, to some extent, they came and, and went. Uh, but overall, when it comes to EM sovereign credit spreads and those of quasi-sovereigns, that resilience that I was talking about and that was quite impressive is also the flip side that the opportunities are simply less there. And when you look at total return for emerging markets, uh, close to 85 to 90% of that return is simply the U.S. Treasury component, so the U.S. Treasury rally. So yes, uh, emerging markets, especially hard currency weathered, this shock so far really well. Part of that is positioning, but a big explanatory factor is the fact that there was a U.S. duration component to it, that while spread widened, the Treasury rally dominated on the total return side, producing a decent performance. And uh, that means that there are less opportunities on the credit side. Some of the idiosyncratic things that we are spending our time on, clearly Turkey, May 14, first round elections, um, it will uh, decide the future of Erdogan and if Turkey decides to return to more orthodox economic policies and more credible macro framework, that could be its own idiosyncratic opportunity. Argentina is also facing elections later on this year, could be a very important regime change opportunity. So uh, uh, that I think is, is still interesting to us. and. Um, for, for the other more sovereign high-yield names, look, to some extent, where we have seen um, for new issuance markets to actually be shut to these names, there could also be opportunities for the short side if you don't think that they're going to reopen. So we're looking closely at global external financing needs for a number of sovereigns. And, uh, um, but at this stage, it looks like this shock is probably not going to keep primary markets closed for too long. We've actually seen a number of uh, emerging market issuers coming to market as quickly as this week, which we also have heard about in U.S. corporate space, because as sovereign um, yields came down, led by U.S. Treasury yields coming down, it gave them a, a, a refunding opportunity that probably wasn't there had we recorded this on March 8th. But thank you very much for uh, joining me for this uh, brief conversation and what we are focused on. Eager to hear your thoughts. Let us know of any feedback and uh, please uh, tune in again next time. Thank you very much.